Hello everyone, this is Paige and I am just getting on here alone to quickly warn you and also apologize for the audio on my end in this upcoming episode. I'm having mic issues as I described in our previous episodes. It's getting fixed this Christmas. (laughs) Thank you, Santa. Could also be a me thing, but basically what happened with the recording you're about to hear is I had the mic turned around incorrectly. So I sound a little far away, a little echoey, but I promise you it will not last. And if you're new to this, I want to apologize especially, and I want to encourage you to listen to our other episodes. Maybe not the first couple because we were also having mic issues back then too because we were new and beautiful and young. And um, now it's just being silly and on my end old and needing to do a little bit more research before I hop on the mic, you know? Thank you again. Just really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in even throughout all these weird little delays and sound problems. And uh, hey, next year, I'm going to do better. Love you guys. Thanks. everyone hi hey what's up what's up guys sorry this is all taking so very long it's mostly my fault (laughs) all of my lifestyle choices have brought us to this day (laughs) to this moment this moment where i can't get off slack and i had to push back the release of several episodes (laughs) because but one of these days we'll return to the air well to the web to the web to the apps you'll go on your apps will be a new little pink square with our dumb little faces on it. <laughs> and you're going to click and hear this. Blessings. Blessings upon you. You will not hear us on the Stitcher Premium app because that is no longer in existence. I got an email letting us know. At first I was like, oh. are you removing us for some reason? What did we do? <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, Brittany, we got removed from Stitcher Premium. Can you imagine? We were doing so poorly at Stitcher Premium. They removed us. I was like, I was really concerned briefly. Like I was like, wait, no, this can't happen. I bet they can't just take away this free uploading. They can't take away this free product we're putting out. I was going to say, we pay for this to go on that free product, and it doesn't really matter if we're scoring high on the Stitcher Premium users, but they're not. Uh, no one is. So Stitcher is now just Pandora. So yay. Oh. That's easy. That's easy enough. Well, are you guys here for a little, like, law and order? Is that what you want to hear about? Yeah. Um. Are you hoping to transition? I keep calling. This is our transitional era because I referenced that, like, ten times in my notes. This is our transitional era. We are transitioning. This episode is a very transitional episode. They kind of went light on us. They both did and didn't. Like, I'm once again confused about how amused I was by this episode. It was (laughs) Given the dark. It was funny. Uh, Yeah. It's like, it was dark. There are moments of levity. They fuck with us, though. They give us some really funny shit and are really dark. Not, okay, not all the time. Like, the bad blood. We didn't really have any. I, I'm trying to remember. There was probably only one funny part in that. But like sometimes they'll give us like I thought slaves was going to be hard. I remembered it being hard. And boy, did we laugh the entire time. We forgot about Miss Dr. Jackson and all her outlandish interviews. Did you notice they will not say her name in this episode? Yes. 
Yes, they not won't. a single goddamn time. No, they keep saying the psych, and then they like Stabler says she, and I was like, she has a name. It was almost like it was Voldemort. They were like the psych whose name we will not speak. And then actually, there was a couple of inflections on names, like Cragen. I'm remembering it now, so I'll say it now because I don't think I'll remember later. But like when he meets, oh, is that a spoiler? When he meets Alex, do we want to wait? Do we care? What do we care about? <laughs> I mean, people know Cabot's coming, right? Yeah. I'm like, anyone who's listening to this should know. And if you don't, you're probably just listening to this to be nice. And so you don't know who this is. But um, yeah, when he talks to Alex, he's just, she's like, hi, I'm Alex. And he's like, yeah, right. And later on, he's like, I got to tell you, Alex. And I'm like, do you doubt her name? He's so rude. So guys, this, what we're talking about is... Law and Order SVU, Special Victims Unit, Season 2, Episode 1, Wrong is Right. Original air date, October 20th, 2000, and directed by Ted Kotcheff, who said this, well, not the last episode, a few episodes ago, he directed Weekend at Bernie's, First Blood, and the last proper episode we covered, Slaves. I guess I'll just say, because it's been a while, Slaves was the last episode of Season 1, and basically ended in this cliffhanger where the psychologist whose name we will say, Dr. Jackson, told Cragen that she had evaluated all his officers and she had (laughs) basically two that she thought maybe needed to go. And he was like, but who? (gasps) Dun, dun. I'm just remembering their dumb asses sitting there, like standing there, palling around. Just like, yeah. Oh, ew, ugh, poor behavior in front of a psychiatrist. And she's like, I've listened to you people all day and you're all exhausting. Just exhausting. And like, oh, it's the shock and awe for me. They all act like they're like, I'm so surprised. The outcome is what it is. <laughs> um, wow. um, opening note for this, uh, for this episode, another note, is that this is just sunglasses all over. There are a lot of sunglasses sunglasses everywhere even elliot stabler dons them but not when he should which is when (laughs) when he's at the beach so opening scene um we open up on a beach party a classic beach party if i might add it's just teens everywhere um maureen is dancing with a boy we literally opened it on him saying i had to rewind it because i was like did i yawn did i cough we opened it on this guy saying to maureen you got all britney spears on me now and she responds Eartha Kitt. <laughs> what does he mean? What is the context? And what is the context of she's not going Britney Spears, she's going Eartha Kitt? Right. Like, what What preceded this? Now, this kind of made me mad because he goes, who? So I feel like we're supposed to be like, oh, Maureen's so cultured because she knows who Eartha Kitt is. Everyone knows who Eartha Kitt I is. Know. Except this guy. <laughs> Uncultured. But it was just so strange. I was like, are they day drunk? There's also something really soothing about a 90s beach aesthetic. They're having fun and... Until... Until... Roar! A big, cranky (laughs) monster comes stomping over the beach hill in beach attire. (laughs) Ten sizes too big for him. Ridiculous. Elliot's Marie Stabler has entered and he is in... Um, a wife beater, of course. That was the one thing they negotiated in his contract. They were like, he's gonna wear the wife beater, right? So the wife beater under a purple, like, you know, Jimmy Buffett type dad shirt 
cargo fucking shorts. I wrote the ugliest pair of cargo shorts I've ever seen. The largest and ugliest pair that I have ever. What was happening in costume today? I mean, I know he's a dad, but like he was dressing. Um, I feel like there was that time in the early aughts where everyone wore, the, and by everyone I wear, mean men, wore clothes that were like three sizes too big. Right. Uh, this is around that time. What am I talking about? That's why he looks terrible. Oh, they used to wear these big polo t-shirts. Brian has a couple of pictures of him in just oh my god, large collared shirts. Just large shirts. It's kind of, again, <laughs> soothing, but weird. So yeah, they, so Maureen knows what's about to happen and she really likes this boy, Ryan. So she goes arm in arm with her father and turns him away. <laughs> Walks him away from this boy before anything terrible can happen. I'm sorry. They link arms and they walk away from him. And Stabler starts doing his shit. <laughs> he's on one. How old is he? Where, where is he from? What's his name? Because he's fucking jealous. So it's Ryan Witherspoon. That's his name. Um, and Stabler admits that he's cute. And then they turn back to look at him. And he's <laughs> staring at them with a stupid smile on his face. Like, mm, what of it? Before doing like a shrug and like turn back and he walks back towards the party it was hot oh ryan witherspoon is very thousands hot and they walk off arm in arm and it's giving it's really giving like oh nothing honey let's go back to the car fill up your cargo shorts with shells and let's go (laughs) so done done uh we're driving back in the car it's nighttime now and stabler thinks that maureen got a tattoo she like reaches over to like change the radio station and he's like the tattoo and then she gets all excited and coy and she's like no it's Hannah it washes off washes off you have tattoos he's like that's different I was 18 and in the service and I'm like weirdly in the service makes more sense to me than 18 does I'm like "Mm." Mm. 18 is still bad choice territory um and then he jokes around about her having Ryan Witherspoon's babies and then he laughs to himself. Yes. That's the best part. He's like, oh, you and the Ryan Witherspoons of the world. And then he goes, <laughs> like, tells a joke and laughs. She's not even laughing. Have your little Witherspoons. <laughs> Have your little Witherspoons. <laughs> and God doesn't like that. So, <laughs> so sharp left turn. <laughs> There is a cop car pulled over by what appears to be a small fire. Stabler pulls over their minivan. He's like, Maureen, you need to stay in the car, lock the doors, roll up the windows. He runs and gets a fire extinguisher from the trunk. Are you supposed to keep those in your car? Um, yeah, not like I'm not like, oh, my God, Brittany, you don't have a fire extinguisher in your car. It's like, girl, you don't even have a car. Girl is me. I'm girl. Do I need a fire extinguisher? So it would, it would be helpful because if this were you, what would you have done? You would have stood there like Maureen. I would have called the police. So he runs over to the fire where officers are trying to beat the flame with a blanket. Stabler extinguishes the fire and one officer's like, there's someone under there, meaning the sheet. I also have to note that the part, it's a body. Surprise, surprise. This is an SVU episode. Right. And... Because it's season two, we're not cutting off penises anymore. This guy's crotch was on fire. Yeah, they take the blanket off the guy. Um, It shows a man who I thought was in his 50s or 60s. I was like, oh, no. 
Right then, when they take the blanket off, the, the, the burning blanket off the guy, who's only a little bit, not even a little bit burned. We don't even, he doesn't look burned at all. He looks like he was shot in the head. Stabler turns around because he hears someone going, ah! <laughs> And it's Maureen, guess what? She didn't stay in the fucking car and mind her own business like her father. Like she was told to. Right. Well, it doesn't help Maureen that the body is like looking at her. Yeah, it's looking like right he at pu- her. <laughs> he pulls the blanket back. The b- eyes are staring past him and right to where Maureen happens to be. Like she was told not to. Theme song. Dun, 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 dun. This is a dirty doll. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at the Morris Commission, which last season was called Compstat. Okay. This looks just like Compstat, right? Yeah, I call it Comstat slash the Morris Commission throughout. Like, I thought it was Comstat, and then they started calling it the Morris Commission. I was like, oh, that must be another name. Like, you know how sometimes things will have two names, and you're like, yeah, it's right. a dumb name for that thing. But I didn't realize. Shame Court's back. Shame Court, like super public shame court. And Commissioner Lyle Morris is back, and he is shaming Cragen in front of his, a group of his peers. Um, someone sternly brings Cragen a folder and tells him, one of his detectives reported bringing a suspect home from a bar. Who could that be? And the other had fantasies of killing suspects. Also, who could that be? Wonder. Craigan's like, what the fuck? So Commission Morris is like, what kind of unit are you running, Captain? And honestly, I kind of have to agree. I agree. Okay, so I agree. But you know how I was all mad at Craigan? Remember, I was like, Brittany, Comstad is here because Craigan's doing a bad job. <laughs> now I'm a little like, not on his side, but I'm like, it's a little bit public what they're saying. Like they're naming names. Like he said, the names and and oh, Craig yeah. is and looking around. literally goes. I really thought those were going to be private. Yeah, and I said me too. Like I thought that even before he said it, I was like, this is like what the fuck. Now, do you think he's also like a little afraid that maybe she also mentioned his? <laughs> she she was like, listen, I really have to tell you about these two people, but also I need you to all hear what Craigan said in his interview. I would have mentioned it if I were her only because it was such a weird outburst. So the commish tells him that Jeffries and Stabler will have to undergo further psyche vows. And then he, I don't know why, but he also explains that ADA Alexander Cabot is here and she's assigned to adjudicate the SVU cases. It sounds like she was already going to, but he's making it sound like she has to, especially now that his detectives are so bad. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, I wrote, I wonder if this thing they're saying that Cabot needs to do is a real job in real life. Miss Alexander Cabot's good, because that's how the guy, I was like, is this the same Comstat guy? Because they all talk like this. Miss oh, Alexander, yeah. yeah. Commissioner Morris. Commissioner Morris. Oh, that's why they call it the Morris Committee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lyle Morris. He was the asshole from... Again, I was, I was at the time, I was like, on Lyle Morris time. But now that he's just like actively calling out people, like, geez, Lyle, calm the fuck <laughs> down. He's like, hey, I'll get a comment here to educate. <laughs> so Craig gets pissed and he's stomping out and Alex stands up and goes, Captain Craig. And she like yells it at him. He's mad about her having to work with him. She kind of follows him. They, they like leave the courtroom and then she's like walking up to him and being like, listen, I know you don't like it, but I'm here because there were behavioral issues cited in your office. And then he like, again, if I'm skipping over something important, so she's kind of like doubling down on that. She's like, there were behavioral issues and we have to investigate them because blah, blah. And he turns to her and goes, 
who do you sleep with, Miss Cabot? And then he goes, I'm sure there are people that you've wanted to toe the line with or cross the line. And I'm like, are you trying to defend, okay, with all due respect, are you trying to defend sleeping with suspects and mm, killing people who might not be guilty? Which is not what Stabler said he was going to do, but, you know, you've never gone over the line before. She doesn't really answer. Um, so then he's like, anyway, he goes, if we're done here, then maybe we could talk about this in the morning. Well, she just shouts, breakfast then, at his back as he's like, marching away. He's so angry. He is kind of cute, his little comp sad outfit. Mm, I call it the comp sad outfit. I think it's like his regular, like, it's his... Policeman blues or something like yeah, that. Yeah, his formal attire. It's like his formal police, I don't know. I wish I had a uniform for my work events. Like, sometimes we have monthly happy hours. I wish they'd be like, you have to wear a black turtleneck. Be like, awesome. I have seven You were going those. to anyway. Right. How did you know? <laughs> Why are you forcing everyone to dress like me? Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Now we're at the station. Munch and Jeffries walk in talking about the Morris Commission and how much it sucks. And I feel bad for Jeffrey. She's got her new hair done all cute. And then she's going to yell that. I was wondering why she looked so off to me, and it's because she's not in a vest. She's in a pantsuit, and I don't like it. You're right. I didn't even notice. I was so mm. distracted by how cute her hair was. I'm not a fan of 90s fringe, and she had some 90s, she had some 90s fringe. Oh, season one? Yeah. I liked her fringe in season one. It was cute. I like it. Too. I do like 90s fringe. I'm taking it back now because I'm remembering other people with cheese. Some Morris Commission getting up the Morris up the- Commission's coming to talk to us. <laughs> so, um, on cue, as soon as they walk in, being like, oh, no. Right then, Cragen stomps in the room and screams at Jeffries. And I mean, he screams at her to get in his office. And she turns to Munch and looks like she shat herself. As would I. It's, like, very brusque. And she is surprised. <laughs> She's surprised when she gets inside the office. Inside the office, Cragen's like, you told the psychiatrist you slept with a suspect? And she's like, I didn't say that. But you did. Um, we were there. You did. You did say it. I mean, you said that he... No, I don't think she said, yeah, we cleared him. And turns out he was completely not a suspect anymore. She said we liked him for a... Yeah. And then... Yes, very clearly at the end, Dr. Jackson goes, so what did you do? And she goes, remember she made that face like, what do you mean? I went home with him. And then she kind of like looked around the room like impressed with herself. She's probably thinking about that right now like, shit. She's like, but technically I said I just went home with him. So, hmm. No, you're right. Oh my God, that would be me. I'd be like, "Uh, I didn't say I slept with him. Who told you I slept with him? You said you went home with him. I'm like, yeah, I wanted to talk. I'm a person. I'm an empath. But no, she just, she fumbles the ball again. She's just, I didn't say that. I'm like, you literally said it. There were like several thousand witnesses. So Craig says he's putting her on desk duty and she's like, what desk duty? But I thought to myself, isn't she literally always on desk duty? I mean, she's been on desk duty for pretty much all of season one. And the one time she wasn't, she got blown up and then was on one and fucked a suspect. So literally the one time she wasn't on desk duty ruined her career. What if her storyline that we don't know about, but one that they scrapped, like, it was on the cutting room floor, is that this is some issue Monique has, and that's why she can't be in the field. She just tries to fuck everyone. That'd make her pretty in- more interesting. That would. They don't give her a lot. I'd do that. I have issues with stuff like that. I'd be like, well, he's cute. Maybe he's not guilty. 
Well, Monique yells at Cragen that she's not explaining her sex life to the Morris Commission, and he yells back at her, and he's like, I don't like it either, Monique, but yelling at me isn't going to solve anything. The hypocrisy. (laughs) I was like, you just screamed at her. And then when she starts, she's a Sagittarius, she starts getting upset, and he's like, well, yelling isn't going to solve a gosh darn thing, Monique. That was annoying. I was so annoyed for her. Like, how fucking dare you? Really? How dare you? Like, no, oh no, you're not allowed to yell, but I am. Get the fuck out of here. How dare you tell me I can't yell? That's my only volume. So outside, Munch is watching Cragen's office with like a worried look on his face as he's drinking a cup of tea, which I thought was weird. He totally strikes me as more of a coffee guy. Agreed. Whatever. And Stabler ambles in, still in his terrible dad outfit. And Munch asks if Jimmy Buffett, R.I.P., is in town. I know. Mm. Pour one out. So Stabler explains to Munch about the crime scene and how Maureen saw the whole thing as he sips from a mini bottle of Pepto that he keeps in his locker, but apparently no extra clothes. Cragen, meanwhile, releases Jeffries <laughs> and yells for Stabler. Stabler, who knows not of what waits for him, is like, oh, I'm off to a scene. And Cragen is like, now. And now it's Stabler's turn. <laughs> So Jeffries walks over to Munch and he gently touches her shoulder and asks if she's okay. Did they ever bone? He's very tender with her. I know. They won't confirm it. I wrote, we'll never know. We won't. So now Stabler is in Cragen's office for his yelling lecture, even though yelling doesn't solve anything. Cragen's like, well, but he yells. I Sorry. I know. I'm like, I'm just, yeah. Cragen's like, why did you tell the site that you wanted to kill suspects? And Elliot's like, I said perps, not suspects. And he's. Utterly astonished. They both are. Their astonishment, I think it's a little egregious. Like, don't you? Like, if I were their manager, I'd be like, listen, I get that this is, like, hard because you're being investigated and you might lose your job. But, like, you're not even a little bit, like... You said some bad shit to your psychologist and... Sober, too. And they're both like... (laughs) What? I'm in trouble? That's so true. The, the faces. It's like the eyes and the mouth thing. You know, they're just like, what? <laughs> just completely flabbergasted. Um, so yeah, he's stunned that he's being investigated because he's, I thought they only probe rogue cops. And then he gets his look on his face like, oh, I'm the rogue cop. <laughs> yeah, Nancy Drew. You violent Nancy Drew. John Cena meets Nancy Drew. He's like, is my job at risk and Cragen's like yeah can you imagine being told that you might get fired while you're wearing he's still in the beach get up oh my god I was so embarrassed for him so for a while when I was younger I would only wear certain outfits to the office because in case I got fired I didn't want to be wearing anything too like ostentatious you don't yeah. want like, your bright purple cute jumpsuit on the day you get fired exactly you're like i'm gonna take a bold risk and wear this new outfit i bought i'm a little nervous it's a bold outfit after all and you walk in you're feeling good you know and you're like kind of happy and they call you into the office and they tell you that they heard that you were fucking the suspects on the job the one time monique was like you know what new day new monique i'm gonna wear a pantsuit and Craig's like you're out right and new hair and she gets yelled at it's fucking scary to put mm. yourself out like that and this is what happens and that's why I'll forever stay in my routine of my fear outfits I mean now we're learning you're right to do so I know am I I'm right like this is but yeah so at the end of the day um these two were in trouble 
One of them's in a new outfit, and one of them is in a silly outfit. <laughs> Just embarrassing for everybody. So embarrassed. Oh. Dun dun. We go to the bird and crotch guy's house. I'm not giving this man any respect. He. It's, this is similar to season one, episode one, where you don't have to feel bad at all. It's actually like, I'm realizing how lazy this episode were, was. It's like almost a complete repeat. A little bit. We're going to talk about other countries. They copied themselves. Okay. I'm mad at them now. Anyway, done, done. Uh, so Olivia has joined us and she has new hair, but it's not good yet. Um, oh, I thought it was going to be. And then I'm like, oh, she went a, her. It's, it's almost like a shag mullet. But it not, is. Not a shag. It's like a mullet. It is. It's not quite her pixie yet. She couldn't commit. Legacy? I don't remember. Legacy's not far off from this. And her hair is no good looking there. So this is like very much transitional hair. So the fire crotch guy's name is Andrew Croft. He's 42, which I was aghast. But he works for this place called Radial Velocity. I had to listen to that a couple times because I, I hallucinated myself and I thought they were saying radical. Oh no, radio. I thought they were saying radio velocity for like, Same. I was like, what do they work at like a music company? Like, what is this? Basically, guys, Radio Velocity is a company that helps the government design and launch and operate missiles for war. I think that's what they do. I think so, too. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. And it really doesn't matter beyond that. (laughs) No. He transferred there. They transferred him from Poughkeepsie, New York, upstate New York, to the NYC office a few months ago. Munch is intrigued and immediately thinks it's a conspiracy theory. Andrew Croft lives with a 16-year-old son, and his neighbor said that they argue a lot. So then they go into Croft's bedroom. So there's blood all over the bed. Obviously, he was shot in bed or something happened in bed. Oh, he was shot in the head. I don't know if they got that. So he was shot in the head. There's blood spattered on the mirror that's behind his bed. Yes. That was my first clue that I didn't fucking like this guy. I was like, no. Well, Munch, like, makes a comment about the feng shui, and I was like, does he mean because there's blood everywhere or because the bed is pushed up against the mirrored wall? I wonder if it was both, because honestly, that entire room was just, like, ick to me. Benson finds one of the son Michael's school books, but it has a different name in it, or last name, than Andrew, so it says Michael Gorin. Munch sighs. Instead of, like, acknowledging that this is evidence, Munch sighs and says that he and Jeffries will go and check out radial velocity if Craigan lets her off off desk duty. So then Benson's like, what? He goes, Morris Commission. And then he kind of leaves the room pouting. So then Benson's like, okay, what the hell is going on? And Stabler's like, "Uh, I told the psychologist I would like to kill child molesters. And Olivia's like, what's the problem with that? The commission is full of cops. And Stabler's like, when's the last time one of them stood in a room like this? A room like what? It's a 42-year-old white man's room. In post-20th century Manhattan. They keep acting like this is a super gory crime. And after season one, I'm just kind of like, it's not. At first, I guess I wasn't paying attention enough, but I really didn't realize that they were investigating. Like, at first I was like, wait, they're dead ass going to investigate this guy they found on fire? I thought that was just going to be like, oh, Maureen saw a dead body. It's her awakening. She's a woman now. You know, but they're like, no, we're going to investigate it because crotch is on fire. Yeah. I couldn't believe they actually wanted to investigate this. Oh, my gosh. They always do. They always have to come up with some penis excuse for why we have to look into the crime. Oh, also, Michael is missing. The teenage boy is missing. Dun, dun. They go to the school library, and Stabler asks if this book belongs to Michael Croft, and she 
the lady scans it and she's like, oh, it belongs to Michael Gorham. He's absent today. I'm like, wow, you figured that out quickly. You can speak to his guidance counselor, Mrs. Scheider. And then she points. I'm like, is she just, is she right there? She's just standing there waiting. That's her only job. She's like, are you here to talk about Michael? Kind of. So now they're following Mrs. Scheider and she says she needs a release from Michael's guardians before they see his file. And Olivia's like, well, that's a cool story. His father was murdered yesterday. And she's like, well, Andrew wasn't the victim's father. He was just his guardian. And then she just hands him the file like she was just holding it. And she must have gotten 50 extra dollars every time she said Michael, because in this scene, she said Michael entirely too much. Like, we're, I know we're talking about Michael. Michael is from Belgium, and she doesn't know how his parents died. Stabler asks for a current photo of Michael, which she doesn't have because he's new. Olivia remarks that Michael is an AB student, and Mrs. Scheider replies that he could have straight A's if he applied himself, but he's withdrawn and hangs out with troublemakers. And they're like... Who are these troublemakers? Enter Jason Sloan. <laughs> Were you as amused? Charmed. <laughs> Regrettably charmed. I love Jason Sloan. He's great. Yet another person that we are designed to hate in the first episode, but I ended up loving. He is my new Victor Spicer. This guy's hilarious. Jason Sloan has received the Spicer Award for excellence and charisma. Of a character we're supposed to not like. <laughs> a bait and switch. So we find Mr. Sloan on the streets, but he's playing like an outdoor arcade game with plastic guns. He's shooting both guns. He's got a cigarette dangling dangerously from his lips. So was that? A, okay, I'm not correct. I'm not euthanizing here. But at first I thought it was a cigarette and later on I was like, was that a straw the whole fucking time? Or did he go in between a cigarette and a straw? I think he went between because I really thought oh my it was God. a cigarette, but I could be wrong. No, I think you're right because I wrote cigarette and then on my second watch I was like, wait, was that a straw? But I think he, that's just the beauty of Jason Sloan. We don't know what he's going to do next. Just a lot going on. He's playing the video game guns. He's like, choo, choo, choo. He's talking to them. Cigarette dangling out of his mouth. He slams the guns down on the game. And then he picks them back up again and goes, choo, choo, choo at Ellie and Olivia. He doesn't know where Michael is either. Um, but he sound, he's very clearly omitting something, you know, because they're like, hey, do you know where Michael is? He's like, nope. And they're like, are you sure? He's like, yup. <laughs> And Jason says that Michael, they're like, well, how are you guys friends? And he's doing that boy thing where these people are clearly like hiding something, but they're like doing it in such a way where they don't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, we're friends. I let him sleep in my house sometimes so we can get away from the creep. And they're like, the creep? Meaning Andrew Croft. Like they can tell he means Andrew Croft. And so they're like, well, Andrew's dead. And Jason goes, oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And they're looking at him and he's like, Jason goes, what what do you want me to say? I know he's a bad guy. I've seen him slap Michael around before. So he doesn't like him, obviously. So then Elliot makes a comment. I don't really remember why, but he kind of makes a comment about Michael not having any friends. And Jason goes, Jason says he has friends. Michael has friends, but he won't name any of them. (laughs) So again, he's like, he has friends. And they're like, who? He's like, uh, he says that he talks to this girl or whatever from wherever. He then proceeds to smack the bum of the girl standing behind them blows a straw wrappers at the detectives and tells them to go do their jobs. I'd love to help you do your job, but I'm a high school student. Icon. Icon, Jason Sloan. He's awesome. Amazing. Icon. Amazing. I wanted more of him, but no, that's all we get. 
So Jason is played by Nathan Weatherington, who has 16 other acting credits, but most interestingly, has been a member of the Blue Man Group. Oh my goodness. He's a blue man. That's, that means he's tall, doesn't it? They're tall men, aren't they? I think so. Dun dun. So now we're at radial velocity and munchies are buzzed in and two men walk up to them. One introduces himself as Craig Prince and explains he was Andrew's supervisor. He introduces the other man as Ralph Noble, who is security. So Craig sighs and he's like, it's a sad day for us. Anyway, I wish I could tell you more. Here are some boxes. Uh, some of it's classified. Can show you. Uh, here's the door. And they're like, uh, can we get a little more information? He's like, Wish you could, but it's super classified. Yeah, no. They're like, can we get like some sort of emergency contact? You know, we're trying to find this kid, Michael, and he's like, mm. ah, classified. Not our problem. That was so corporate. They're like, yeah, this guy had a kid. <laughs> and, like, and they're mm. like, mm, not really our business. Sorry. So Munch threatens them with a court order. The guy just smirks and he's like, I think he says, leave the dolly in the garage. Yes, he goes, you can try. (laughs) He goes, you can try. And then Munch says something else. Dun dun. Bullpen. Munch is looking through the papers they got from Radial Velocity, but basically all of it's redacted. Um, And he wants to know why, so he calls up an informant. Dun dun. Uh, So Munch meets his informant. I said by the water. You probably have a better location. It's somewhere in Brooklyn. So he tells the informant he wants information on Craig Prince and Ralph Noble. The informant tells him they, I don't know who they is. They. The government, I guess. I don't even know. Prince is getting kickbacks because he's living way beyond his means. Ralph Noble was a Vietnam vet, a Purple Heart. He's like super, has all these honors. He's a war hero. Munch keeps spitting names at his informant. He's like, Andrew Croft. And the informant is like, oh, he's king of the missile geeks, but he's a black hole. Yeah. Munch is like, well, he's dead and his ward is missing. So, yeah, he's just asking. I'm thinking, okay, this informant guy, by the way, sunglasses. This informant guy has already been briefed on the situation. So now he knows why we're asking about all these people. No, he waits until after he spills the beans about these guys, albeit very vaguely. And he goes, what's all this about, Munch? Munch is like, oh, Andrew Croft is dead and his crotch was on fire and now his kid's missing and he's like oh man (laughs) and then gives him like no more information none i feel like we learn nothing except that prince is suspicious noble's nice and croft is kind of a mystery so the informant is played by john doman who has like crazy long acting credits he's been in everything from the Wire, Law and Order, SVU, Trial by Jury, Organized Crime, Criminal Intent, I think everything but Law and Order LA. That's okay. That, None of us are show? checking on LA. Yeah, remember Skeet Ulrich, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So he was in every S- Law and Order spinoff except that one. But he was also in CS- CSI, NCIS, ER, uh, NYPD Blue, The Sopranos, Oz, obviously, and he played Carmine Falcone on Gotham. Truly, this guy has been in everything so craig prince has been in a lot of things too but i don't that poor fucker i never looked at his imd oh my god i've seen him i should have because i was like that guy's someone i thought he was the mean uncle in home alone 
but oh the one who's like your dad's paying for my trip to paris yes let me just double check that yep uncle frank yeah craig, oh! craig prince is uncle frank there we go that's all you need to know about him look what you did you little jerk so uncle frank is here screaming at everybody um no i'm kidding he's not here right now dun dun now we're at the stabler house stabler's getting ready for bed when <laughs> Elliot Stabler's getting ready for bed uh, when Maureen starts screaming because she's been traumatized by seeing Croft's body on fire, basically. That wasn't, I feel like this was a, I was more. That's in, it, that's the scene. That's it, but I'm like, uh, we love the Stabler scenes. But really, that was it. Like, he's just brushing his teeth, looking fine, you know? And like, how many times do I have to tell you that Elliot Stabler looks fine when he's being an idiot? And then you just hear, ah, ah, Dad, he's on fire, he's on fire. And then so he runs in, he's like, shh, shh, shh. And she's like, ah! and I'm like, yeah, but like, you're not on fire and you don't even know that man. And you are told not to go look. Probably not to victim blame, but you're not a victim of anything. Why are you crying? So that's it. Um, done, done. Also kind of a quick scene. We're at a fancy rooftop restaurant. I actually want to know where this is. That was a really pretty it looks view. Lovely. It looked lovely. Craig is there with Alex and she is in a smart ace. Smart and really adorable matching tan suit. Well, not suit. I'm sorry. It was a set. And she's in a really good mood. She's probably in a better mood than I've ever seen her. They do the opposite. Remember with Casey, they were like, she's a fucking bitch. Here she is. (laughs) I know. They're like, here's Alex Cabot. She's nice and cool. And then poor friggin' God, you just said Casey Novak comes in and they're like, fuck (laughs) this bitch. So Craig and... They're talking about, again, kind of why they're working together. She's like, do, 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 because you guys are shitty. She may be drinking a mimosa. Cragen is like, I don't vote, which was a lot to admit in public like that. Um, He's like, I don't vote. And he's alluding to the fact that it's because everyone who you get in any party is terrible. And so that's why he hates voting. And he goes, such a white male take. Right. I know. Oh, you don't like the white males offer to you at dinner? Would you like us to cook other white males to your satisfaction? We're just trying to choose the white male that'll give us the most rights. Men are like, ugh, trash. I'm not going to vote for either. And she basically just, listen, cut the shit. She doesn't say that. Um, But she's like, I need SVU to succeed in order to leverage myself up at (laughs) in lawyer land. But basically, he's like, oh, well, this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, and he hands her a file, and it's all of SVU's, like, unsolved cases or the open cases. And I thought, that's a smallish file. But then I remember that Sylvia Benson steals them and hands them out to people that have wronged her. <laughs> he was like, I thought there were a lot more, but this is what I've got, so... <laughs> He's like, I could have sworn there was a triple homicide cannibal motherfucker in here, but... Meanwhile, Olivia's uptown screaming at someone <laughs> else. <laughs> People like you. People like you, Nicholas Dorsey. People like you. He's like, go away, Olivia. I got your last two packets because you didn't open them, Dorsey. I watch you from the street. She's learned a trick or two from the guy who blew up the nice reporter. Absolutely. That was the same episode. She's like, hey. She was- there you go. <gasps> oh. Remember? No, no, I am wrong, Brittany. I am so very oh, he's wrong. The, isn't he Subway, yeah, Subway rapist. Rape, yeah. Because remember, he was like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Brittany, remember? He cornered Livy at her apartment is like, I'm going to bomb you in your home. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, don't try to be the, the bomber. <laughs> don't try to be a stalking bomber. 
a new plot line every season as she invites Nick back in and he's trying to get like information. He's like, let's pretend I'm the internet and you're trying to find me. <laughs> I'm a 16 year old girl and I met a man named Keith on the phone. His name is the Yachtsman. How would you entice me, Olivia? What would you type to me to get me to come to the cafe? Pretend I'm a 16-year-old girl and my grandma makes me wear underwear that she sells on the internet. She's like, Nick, this is getting weird. This is getting so weird, Nick. Can you pick a different episode? No, Paige can only remember chat room right now. I can only remember two. (laughs) I can only remember... (laughs) Oh, God. Done, done. I have a callback to that later, too. To the Nick Ganser thing. I'm so glad. Anytime we can reference Nick fucking Ganser, I love that plot line. It was so annoying in the moment, but looking back, I'm like, what a gift. What a fucking gift. Men like you. It's a man like you, Ganser. Man like you. Dun dun. Back at the station, Jeffries tells the gang that Croft was a killed Croft was killed with a 38 revolver slug. And the burning was postmortem. But Croft also owned a 38, so they're like, oh no, like this might be his gun. Michael's missing still, so and so is Croft's Lexus. Munch suggests that Craig Prince and Radial Velocity might have offed Michael somehow because this is still a conspiracy until further notice. And Olivia's just like, oh my god, enough. And Munch, like, gets in her face. I know I like to exaggerate, but he, like, got close to her. Well, she was kind of like, ah, oh, Munch, you and your conspiracy theories, oh. And he gets in her face like, ugh. It really happens, Olivia. And he's actually bothering her, and Stapler does nothing. I know! Craig interrupts them because they're all yelling and that's not allowed. So he's like, okay, enough, enough. He tells B&S, find the Lexus, find the boy. I love when he does that, when he's like, you haven't found him? Well, why don't you go out and find him? Right. And then they do, because we're all like, oh, it's not that easy. <laughs> dun dun, we're in Cabot's office. And she's all like, oh, you want me to get a search warrant for the offices of a defense contractor for classified material for evidence in a sexually motivated homicide? She's literally dialing the phone as she says all this. You want me to secure a search warrant for the offices of a defense contractor to search classified national security files for evidence in a sexually motivated homicide? Yes. You got a problem with that? Judge Harriman, please. All right. See what I can do. Dun, dun. Well, Munchies return to radial velocity with their search warrant. Craig is not pleased. That's it. You little jerk. It was a very quick scene. Dun dun. Station again. Um, Benson. Bolivia Bucket. <laughs> Benson announced that they found Croft's Lexus at a house in upstate New York, in Millbrook specifically, which is close to Poughkeepsie, which is where Croft transferred from when he moved to Radial Veracity. So he didn't live in Poughkeepsie. He's a liar. No, I'm kidding. No one ever said he did. He just worked at Poughkeepsie. So then they go to the house in Millbrook. B&S are there again. Um, Stabler is now in sunglasses because this episode is after the Matrix. So they were like, wow, that looked so good. Oh, my God. Put everyone in sunglasses. I'm probably wrong about that, by the way. No one yell at me. But they find a bloody newspaper in the Lexus's trunk. And then a local cop with the Millbrook police comes out of the house. And he tells them that it belongs to a local couple. And their daughter goes to the local high school. It's super local here. And Stabler is like... Oh, that must be the girl from wherever that <laughs> that icon Jason Sloan mentioned earlier. I like how he was allowed to be so vague with them. Like, other suspects have been more forthcoming and gotten the shit kicked out of them. Well, Stabler can't be fucking pushing people around right now. And Jason can, like, see weakness in people. He was like, this guy can't do shit to me. So he's like, Poop. Dun, dun. 
We are at Adams High School, and BNS are with another school admin, and he explains that the girlfriend, Denise, is in her fourth period class. Denise is the girlfriend from wherever. So BNS are like, well, we need to talk to her. Hopefully, we're going to locate Michael. And he's like, yeah, Michael, great kid. And Stable's just like, yeah, well, he's been missing since Sunday. And the guy's like, he's not missing. He's in our mentoring program. He's like right over there. And they're like, oh, what? Yeah, they're literally like, oh, what? So they run outside and they're looking for a 16-year-old boy named Michael. But all they see is a 40-year-old man with five o'clock shadow running around with a bunch of children. Who I mysteriously called Jimmy in my notes. There's no... Well, I was going to say, because he looks like grown-ass man Jimmy G from that one. Well, he doesn't look like him, but he looks like... He, he looks kind of like Aaron Rodgers. That's how grown this guy looks. He's got five o'clock shadow. He's a grown-ass man. I mean, in real life, I looked him up. That man has a family to take care of. He doesn't have time to be mentoring <laughs> children. But no, that's Michael. So they see Michael. He's coaching the little kids on the field. Um, so he's a stellar young man, obviously. Michael is played by Adam Kaufman, who played Parker Abrams in season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Ethan on Dawson's Creek, his character's kiss with Jack is often referred to as the first passionate gay kiss on primetime TV. And if my brother Patrick's listening, he was brother Ted um, in the episode of Monk about the cult. And now I'll know if you're listening. I was going to say, and now we'll Sorry, know. that was a lot to unpack. Buffy, Monk, first passionate gay kiss. Trailblazer. An icon second only to Jason Sloan. And right now, our biggest suspect, because he goes, is this about Andrew? He's like, hey. Hey, you found me. Hey. <laughs> I'm handsome and guilty. <laughs> this is about Andrew, isn't it? I keep getting Michael and Andrew's names confused. I, me too. My entire notes. They're just two syllable basic male names. I wish they'd called Michael Mike. I think that would have helped me. I agree. They're like, Michael. Dun dun. They cut it back into the school. BNS have Michael in an empty classroom. And he tells them he's flat out. He's not even like worried. He's just like, yeah, yeah, I killed Andrew. Basically, he says that he and Andrew got into, they were arguing and Andrew phys- tried to physically assault him, like hit him. And that Michael hit him back for once. And he said he'd never done that before. So it really pissed Andrew off. Andrew ran and got his gun and he threatened to kill Michael with it. So Michael said that he tackled him, led to a struggle during which the gun went off and Michael said that he pulled away and he saw that Andrew was covered in blood um, and he was dead. So afterwards he dumped him on the beach and he said lit him on fire, right? Or we just, obviously he was lit on fire. I don't think he does say that. I was going to say, I don't think they mentioned that he got lit on. Well, he dumped him on the beach, presumably lit his crotch on fire, even though they don't press the matter. And then he drove back to Millbrook, even though he was living in Manhattan. So he didn't know where else to go. Went back to Millbrook. Um, That confused Paige at first. Page. I'm referring to her back then, the stupid version of me. Detective Agrella. Detective Agrella was confused. So I was like, wait, why have we been to three schools? No, Detective Agrella, we've been to two schools. Well, I was confused at first about why he went to the second school. I was like, I was like, this other school just lets him go. Yeah. Even though he doesn't go to the school anymore. Yeah. I was like, wait, this is like a lie. I was like, he's going to two. I thought he was attending two schools, but no. Um, they kind of beat us know there's something sus because this guy is like way too forthcoming the way he's describing it you'd think that he was just kind of like yeah um i picked up some milk 
and I turned left, then I realized I was supposed to go right. <laughs> so I turned back around, and uh, yeah, and I went back to Milgrok after killing my foster dad. So they're just like staring at him, and so they're, they're like, like, okay, okay, come with us, I guess. So they lead Michael out of the classroom, and the entire school has assembled outside the door. <laughs> like, listening at the door, waiting, and when the door opens, they're just going, Michael? Michael, is everything okay? Not Michael. We're behind you, Michael. Don't worry, Michael. We've got you. Michael, what's going on? It's nothing. Michael? Okay, Michael. Denise, it's okay. This can't be right. Step Not back. Michael. Step back, people. Michael, we're all behind you on this. We love you, Michael. And he's just like, thanks, guys. Denise runs over to grab his shirt, and he's like, it's okay, it's okay. As, like, poor B&S are trying to steer him out. It was very, um, like, I would have been, it was giving, it was giving the Quakers protecting their list of guilty that people. That was so the Quakers to me. It was. Now, did, did you see Dead Silence with me in theaters? Not in theaters, and I regret it every day of my life. I don't know where I was, because we were friends then, I think. So Denise is played by Laura Regan, and she was <gasps> the wife. Right. Who gets brutally murdered, spoiler alert, at the beginning of Dead Silence by Mary Shaw. Oh. Through a puppet. And rips her fucking tongue out. Ooh, now I want to watch that when we are done. I, it's such a good horror movie. I hope it holds up now that I'm like, oh, it's just so good. So yeah, they're all like, we love you, Michael. Ooh, keep safe, Michael. Keep in touch. We've got you, Michael. And all of these people, once again, they all look like, you would think this is a college campus. Oh yeah, they all look so old. We did not, nobody looked like this. Maybe they did. I don't even know anymore. I'm so old. Uh Dun, dun. So we're back in the bullpen is, and Munch is going through a box of papers and Cragen approaches to ask what he's doing. He's like, BNS got a confession. They've made the arrest. These boxes can all go back to radial velocity. Munch is like, mm, it's too tidy. And Olivia once again teases him. She's like, you can't let go of a theory. And he's still suspicious. He thinks there's more involvement by radial velocity. As he's discussing this with Olivia, Cragen takes Stabler aside and he's like, You've got an appointment to go to. And Stabler's like, oh, Ugh. this time of day, geez, traffic's going to be bad. I don't want to drive an there. hour to go yeah. to Skoda. And Cragen's like, luckily, he's around the corner during work at a church, and you're, you're going to go meet him there. They definitely just made Skoda come down because they knew that Elliot wasn't going to drive up there. And they had it done in a church, so Stabler's Catholic ass would feel bad. Yeah, this was wholly calculated, and I'm 100% behind the manipulation of Elliot Stabler because no you don't get to use traffic you don't get to use your daughter and traffic in this episode well dun dun we head over to Christ Church where Skoda's seated and Stabler's pacing and goes I'm not talking to you I'm not talking to you fine I'll just sit here oh I'm a therapist like I don't have any any idea of how to get people to talk to me who don't feel like fucking talking he just sits back and Stabler goes do you know I may lose my job thanks to the last shrink I talked to? And Stabler's like, she's violated my ethical obligation to keep my confidence. And Scott is like, well, listen, if someone, if we believe someone's going to commit violence, we have to report it. Stabler proceeds to lie to his fucking face and goes, I've never done violence to anyone. I have never done violence to anyone. <gasps> oh, really? Really? Record scratch. What? Oh, Really? No. He has done violence. And I, I like that he goes, he pushed I've never chair. done. Oh, yeah. He goes, I've never done violence to anyone. I'm like, you're in the military. You're a huge 
fucking liar. So Skoda's like, why would she think you would? So Stabler's pacing around. He's like, mm, mm, I haven't mm, slept mm. a lot lately. And he's like, oh, I'm really angry. So Skoda prompts him and Stabler shouts, well, what do you want me to say? That I've fantasized about killing a perp? And Skoda's like, well, did you? And he goes, you're darn right I did. And this time I fed him my gun and I pulled the trigger until I caught him. And he was just a kid, a good kid. And I'm like, what are we, what are you talking about? Yeah, like what kid are you talking about? Because we think he's talking about like another case at this point. I thought he was talking about whoever he was describing to Dr. Jackson. Yeah. No, I thought I was like, oh, a kid. Like, is he talking about Wilson Germain Heredia? That was really awful. That impacted all of us. Was he talking about when he saw Jimmy G and Mike D? I'm like, surely something else. Nope, we're talking about Michael. Yeah, Michael. He is upset. He's He wanted to kill the person who killed Andrew Croft. A 42-year-old white man. White man. We had zero reason from literally anybody to believe that we should feel bad for him. And Stabler's like, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him. And so Bree and Brittany are like, wait, why? Next beat goes, because my daughter saw this crime. That's it. That's That's it. why he wanted to feed the gun and pull the trigger. That's a horrible reason to overshare with Emil Skoda now. You know what I mean? Like you overshared before and now you're oversharing on this case. And this kid didn't even do anything that, oh, I'm sorry, I said that. He didn't even do anything bad. Sorry. So back at the station, Stabler walks in and Olivia's like, how'd it go? And he's like, I talk too much again. Like he's surprised. I talk too much again. Cue the laugh track. I know it was such a, what, I overshared, now everyone's mad. <laughs> so Stabler asks where Jeffries is and Munch is like, it's her turn on the couch. We don't get to see this, which is a shame because I bet that was also beautiful. And then I followed another suspect that I thought was hot to the museum. Skoda's like, oh my god, she's done. While Stabler was pouring his heart and soul out to Emil Skoda with zero prompting, Olivia and Munch looked further into Andrew and there's just nothing. Nothing. And Stabler's like, what, nothing, that's good. And they're like, no, no, like literally nothing. Like there's no record of him anywhere until 1991. But then they found an old passport of his. Which they ran, and it came back as a hit for George Kaczynski, who is a child molester. Did the passport say George Kaczynski? No, so what they did was, because I had to watch this a couple times, because I was like, I was watching it because I was trying to figure out how they found out that there's nothing when they didn't run a social security card, anyway, or number. But um, they took the fingerprints they got from Andrew Croft's cross, and they sent them to San Diego, where the passport was issued out of. And then they ran uh, the prints. Oh, okay. Done, done. Done, done. They're like, aw, and that's our bread and butter. See, we can handle this. A convicted sexual predator. Do this in our sleep. Done, done. Radio Velocity. Craig Prince, a.k.a. Uncle Frank, is holding Andrew Croft's OG persona's police record. So the George Kaczynski. We're, they, Brittany, I just realized we have another thing. Another A parallel. person with two names. Yeah. I'm Did tired of this. I'm so tired of them already. Did sex crimes with a different name. Wow. Ugh, y'all childish in that writer's room. Craig Prince uh, is holding George Kaczynski's police record. And Munch asks him, you know, basically, did you know that Andrew Croft was really a convicted pedophile? And Craig Prince denies this. And then Munch says, 
And there were no Nazis in NASA, which I did not know. And I haven't looked What's into What's going it. on, NASA? I haven't looked into it either, but that's very upsetting. They're escorted out by Frank. Oh, by the way, I, Mr. Noble, I thought his name was Frank. So if I say oh, it's Frank, Ralph. it's Ralph. <laughs> okay, so Ralph Noble. If I call him Frank, I promise I'm not blue fanaging. I just, uh, Ralph Noble escorts Munch out. Yeah, Munch is with Stabler. Yeah, Munch is with Stabler. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. So Munch is with Stabler for some reason. Uh, Ralph Noble marches them out. And Munch is just like her, like kind of making comments at him. Yeah, he's razzing him. He's just making slick comments at him about his patriotism and being like, "This is what you you do for your country. Hide like radio velocity secrets." And it was dumb, but Ralph Noble goes, "Don't you question my patriotism, Mister Munch?" Even like dangles a, dangles a hanky in his face and is like, "Munch, you polish the tarnish off all your." Medals of Honor and Stabler's like, oh my god, Munch, get the fuck in the elevator. He's like pulling him. He's like, all right, yeah, we're, we're going. Bye. So we're at Rikers with Victor Spicer. Just kidding. Uh, we're with Michael, who explains his parents died when he was eight, and his only other family member was an elderly grandmother. So Andrew offered to take care of him. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Brittany Spades, because I'm just like, I agree. That's fucking weird. Well, Olivia's like, okay, well, if you're Belgian and Croft is American, she goes, how did you hook up? Which I was like, oh. Yeah, Olivia. 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 Verbiage. Really? So Andrew the pedophile used to hang around Michael's soccer practice. And Andrew worked with Michael's father at NATO. So Michael explains that his father was a janitor. And basically it sounds like Andrew really impressed him by being a rocket scientist. So he basically gave him access to his son because he was proud of having this friend and thought it would be good for his son to be around this like smart successful person yes he was grooming i think they i think they call that familial grooming like when a predator identifies a family in need perhaps and he like grooms the family too you know to kind of be like hey i'm safe with me you don't have to worry about me watching your eight-year-old son at soccer practice do we think andrew had michael's parents killed it is not said explicitly or even really implicitly. Okay, so I was going to say that. Yeah, I, I was going to say that because he nondescript, his parents just nondescript died, but together, like Jumanji skiing accident style. Mm-hmm. And then conveniently, the only person you can take him is this rich man, Andrew. He could take an eight-year-old. Yeah, and they just like give this child to him. A conspiracy theory they actually could have looked into, but they didn't. But it's like, that's really convenient. So. He groomed this kid and his family, and then conveniently both the parents die. That's crazy. And he was friends with the dad. So guys, they don't get into any of this at all, but it's just like most likely what happened. Yeah. So after his parents died, Andrew took Michael to Bosnia, Israel, and then finally Millbrook, where he made friends. And Olivia's like, oh, you probably weren't too happy to leave Denise when you had to move. And Michael's like, yeah, but it wasn't just Denise. I loved spending time with her parents. It felt like a real family. Mid, He's basically like telling this like really sad story. He's obviously being groomed and um, talking about like, oh, yeah, like Denise's family felt like a real family. In the middle of this, Stabler goes, so did you know that Andrew was a convicted pedophile? (laughs) And Michael's like, no. No. So Stabler's like, when was the first time he assaulted you? And Michael's like, oh, Jesus Christ, I was never touched. And he's getting super agitated as Stabler presses him until he finally gets super angry and insists Andrew never touched him. Yeah. And it's it's really um, like 
you know, he's like, no. Like, you know, when somebody accuses you of something, well, I'm saying that and we're talking about a show about like, accusations, but he's reacting kind of like, like, no, 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 no. You know, like now again, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a 16 year old boy. Um, so he's supposed to be having like a 16 year old boy breakdown, but this is a grown man. They casted with a five o'clock shadow and all. It's a little off putting because he's older than he's acting. I wrote that elsewhere. Yeah. It's really hard to get into. He gets super angry and they get nothing from him. So outside the interrogation room, his lawyer is like, sweet, we have a great defense. Thank you. And Stabler's like, yeah, sure, if you can actually get your client to admit he was assaulted. So they walk away and Stabler's like, I think Michael's hiding something. You don't do hard time just because you're embarrassed. And Olivia suggests there may be an accomplice. Yeah, someone that he's like very afraid of. Done, done. We're outside of radial velocity. Munch is waiting for Ralph Noble. Uh, he's just waiting for him outside. Get to harass him a little bit more. And Ralph Noble's like, oh, God, <laughs> this fucking guy. Um, so he's trying to get, I'm going to call him Frank. I'm sorry. It's really Ralph, but I'm calling him Frank. <laughs> I've done Andrew Michael on and off so many times. So Munch is trying to get Frank Ralph to tell him what the fuck is up. Because basically, it, it, there's a lot of that, like, Law and Orders type of back and forth. But basically... Munch just being like, what's the deal with Andrew Croft? We know he's a pedophile, but why the fuck did you guys go out of your way to hire him and, like, wipe his whole identity clean? Why? Um, so Noble confirms that that did all happen, uh, that they did get him a new identity. But it was because every time Andrew would try to cross a border, uh, his record of being a convicted pedophile would stop him for God knows what reason. I know. Wow. Shocking. Yeah, all wow, these countries. Terrible. Didn't want a pedophile, yeah. Shame on them. So Munch is like, okay, but why? And Frank Ralph is like, he's like, there's got to be some damn good reason, but I don't know why they would go through all this trouble for this one guy. But my answer, so my answer as a viewer is, honestly, corporations are that corrupt. And if you are good at what you do, like launch missiles, they probably would do that. They'd probably be like, oh, is that all? Dun dun, Cabot's office. Cabot's going through Croft's file and she's just thoroughly schemed. Like she's literally just going, ugh. Oh, she's yeah. disgusted. She's like, ew, no. Ew. Stabler goes, 11 arrests, four convictions, one in Canada. And then Cabot goes, it's despicable. Presses a button on her phone and goes, get me Todd Earl at justice. Craig's like, justice? Because <laughs> he has to be yelling. And I was like, what is that? Why are you guys yelling about justice? But I guess like she needs to make a record of this evidence they found. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But they're like, don't do that. Now people won't think that Michael's a victim. And she's like, yeah, but Michael won't admit to the abuse. And they're like, yeah, but he was still abused. So Stabler accuses her of protecting her win-loss ratio. And she shades his ass right back. And she's like, wow, your judgment must be clouded thanks to the stress from the Morris Commission. And you're super jealous of Michael did what you fantasized about, killing a perpetrator. Savage. She's like, oh, it's okay. Your judgment's clouded because you're stressed and jealous. And then Stabler's face. He's like. He literally just kind of like looks at her like, huh. You know, like he doesn't know what to say. It was a sick fucking burn. It was. Oh, it was such a good burn. She was like, "Mm." Detective Stabler's judgment is clouded by the stress of the Morris Commission and the fact that Michael Gorin did what he fantasizes about killing a perpetrator. She's a lawyer. Like, what does he expect? Craigan's like, well, I agree with Mr. Stabler. I agree with Detective Stabler, and I don't want to kill perpetrators. And so then she, 
So then she's like, oh, but he could have told anybody. He could have, like, stopped this. Whoa, let's pick to blame a little bit. And then she's like, fine. They basically convince her to give us one more go at convincing Michael to admit that he was abused because he won't. Done, done. done. Which takes us back to Riker's. Um, I'm just going to say basically they plead with Michael to admit that he was molested and he just screams no for probably 30 seconds in Cabot size and goes, all right, murder too. I'm really sorry, you guys. Like, what can I do? I'm so sorry. It was so, fu- it's not supposed to be fucking funny. He's it's like screaming and like throwing things. And I was like, sir, you're 30. He's 26 in real life because I had to look it up. I was like, I've got to know. He's a very mature looking 26. And they kept saying to um, Cabot when they were like arguing with her, they're like, he's a child. And I was fucking losing it. I was like, oh, my God, he's not a child. She's like watching him in there. She's like, oh, God, sorry. This guy's getting murdered. This full grown man is getting murdered, too. Dun dun. Stabler house. Um, Stabler's putzing around drunk again in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking his Miller High Lives or whatever the fuck. There's an entire deli platter of sandwich fixings on the count on the kitchen table their lights are all on it's like 1 a.m i think because maureen's ass comes down stabler's like oh what's the matter Are you having nightmares she's like you'd have to sleep to have nightmares Ugh, calm God. down doris day so she starts making a sandwich and she's like daddy what michael did to that man i don't even know what she what she, where she's going, and Stabler's like, that man was supposed to take care of him, and instead he molested him. Uh, he's pretty frank with her for once. Yeah. She's like, Daddy, well, what will happen now? <laughs> Stabler's like, he's probably going to go to prison, yeah. but all he has to do is tell the truth. <laughs> she's like, and then, <laughs> it's such a weird, it's a weird scene, guys. It's so weird, because then, Sailor's like, oh, I wonder, you know, he won't tell anyone. And then Maureen's like, oh, he wouldn't tell adults because they always judge us. And (laughs) Sailor's like, well, he doesn't have any friends. She goes, everyone has friends, which was such a privileged thing to fucking say. Stabler's like, oh, oh, yeah. Who do you talk to? Ryan Witherspoon. And then she goes, yeah, more than you talk to mom. Once again, Stabler is left roasted. I just said he takes the L. Yeah, he, twice in a row. They talked to Ryan Witherspoon. More than you talked to mom. Just give up, Stabler. Dun dun. Grand jury. Emmy Lance Reddick is back. Yeah, he's super excited. He's very excited. Basically, this whole grand jury scene is to establish how fucked Michael is. Basically, Lance Reddick testifies that the gunshot wound clearly is from someone who was standing, like, a few feet away, not wrestling. Then Staler's up and describes finding the body. Olivia describes finding finding the crime scene at Andrew's house. And at, like Cabot asks about the blood. And Olivia's like, well, clearly the victim was lying down in this bed. There's no signs of a struggle. There's no signs of forced entry. She tells the jury about locating the car in Millbrook. Michael had the keys. 
it's all just bad. Like yeah, basically it's, bad. it's like a full minute of everyone being like, Michael totally did it and it totally wasn't how he said it went down. And you hear one of the jury go, Oh, if only he was abused by this man, something like that, something really awful that could convince us to acquit him. Oh, not you, Michael, not you. Is that his teacher from Millbrook? They're like, Oh, the entire Millbrook class came to defend him. This can't be right. Not Michael. Yeah, outside the courtroom of Stabler and Benson are talking about, uh, well, Stabler and Benson are talking about, the, they're like, this is hard. And then Stabler goes to Benson, oh, I keep thinking about that stupid fucking thing Maureen said to me the other night about friends. And Olivia's <laughs> like, oh, let's go for a ride. Let's go talk to that girl, Denise, that we found out about three days ago and see if he might have confided in her about anything to do with his family. Okay, Denise. He stayed at her house. Her parents didn't think it was weird to let him stay overnight there with their child. I wonder if they know any. This is fucking the little Girl Scouts all over again. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Getting right into it, BNS are now talking to Denise back at that stupid school. And they're like, how long were you seeing Michael? And I'm like, you did not. Why, why didn't you talk to her a few days ago? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Is this a joke? She, he like stayed with her after he killed Andrew. And they're just now like, hi, Denise, we have some questions for you. So at first I was like, oh, maybe they talked to Denise before and they were just getting around for a new line of questionings. But she's like, what should I say? I just really want to help Michael. I'm like, "Okay, no, they've clearly never talked to her before. No, ever. Where his car was found. Where his car at her family's home. They're like, okay, Denise, just like tell us the truth. You don't need to like make up something to help Michael. And she's like, oh, well, we've been seeing each other for three months. And Olivia's like, well, did he ever talk about Andrew? And she literally starts looking around, like not like anyone like anyone might hear. She's just kind of like looking up at the clouds. Oh, she looked mad. She was like, mm. and Olivia's like, uh, Denise, and her head snap back, snaps back down. She goes, please. They just don't get along. So she explains her dad would sometimes let Michael sleep in the guest bed when Andrew was out of town. Her parents really liked him. Michael would even lie about Andrew being gone so he could stay over. And Denise is like, did Andrew know? And Denise is like, I think so. But he never tried to stop it. Not after the thing with Danny. They're like, who the fuck is Danny? They're like, he has other friends. I was convinced after one conversation where it was confirmed he had friends that he didn't. Jason Sloan is like twiddling his cigarette. He's like, I told you he had friends. So Danny Burrell was Michael's best friend. Something happened between them, something bad. She doesn't know what. So BNS are like, let's go find Danny Burrell. And they do. They find Danny Burrell. Smoking hot. (laughs) He's played by Paul's Wesley, Stefan from The Vampire Diaries. I think many of you are familiar. I'm actually not, but I like he looked familiar. So now I kind of want to watch that because I didn't realize how good Gossip Girl was. And now I'm like, I have wasted 17 years of my life. Mm, 17, 14. Anyway. So Danny Burrell is at wrestling practice. Oh, he's so good looking. And they're like, uh, can we talk to you? So they go in to get Danny. Now they're back outside. Yeah, that was ridiculous. They're like, can you tell us the uh, the deal with Michael and his dad? And he's like, yeah, but not in front of this bitch. She removes herself, respecting him. Danny tells Sailor that a few months ago after they were done practicing ball, Michael told Danny that he'd come by his house to shower off because Andrew wasn't home. And I think they did mention earlier that Michael would never let anyone over his house unless Andrew wasn't there. Uh, so when Danny got out of the shower, he saw Andrew in the bathroom with him naked, touching himself, waiting for Danny to get out of the shower. 
So then Andrew made some comments to Danny about him being more his type than Michael was. And then he tried to assault Danny. Um, So Danny was calling Michael for help. Uh, He kept trying to get the door open. And when he finally got the door open, he saw Michael was just standing there uh, as Danny put it, watching, basically. And so then Danny left. He never spoke to Michael again. It sounds like he didn't really tell anybody about it. Um, But he said he never wanted to talk to Michael again because he thought that what he and Andrew were doing was sick. So it was, it's implied that, well, very much implied. Danny basically says that he believes that um, it was consensual, what was going on between them. And so Stabler's like, you think that that was like consensual? And and Danny says that Michael is a big guy. He's six foot. uh, And then he could bench press like 200 something pounds. And he said that if he didn't like what Andrew was doing to him, he could have just beat the shit out of him. And so then doing him makes an appearance because Stabler goes, well, he started doing him when he was eight years old. And I'm like, ugh, this was supposed to be a transitional era. Can you please stop saying that? But it at least gets the like message through to Danny that what had been happening, like what had happened to Michael had been happening for a long time. And it seems to get through to him. Yeah. Well, it does. Because. Well, dun, dun, the rest of this is kind of depressing. I know. We enter back on the grand jury and Cabot is questioning Cabot is questioning Michael and reiterates that he said the gun went off in the midst of the struggle. She asks why the police found no signs of said struggle and she's pushing him, gets nowhere, and he's still insisting there's a struggle. So Cabot kind of does a stabler out of nowhere and she's like, who's Danny Burrell? And so he struggles for a minute. He's like, oh, that's my friend. Cabot asks if he witnessed Andrew assaulting Danny, and Michael denies this. Cabot leans in and says that if Danny will testify he was assaulted and that Michael witnessed it, and she asks if Danny is lying. And Michael's clearly struggling with this, like he's looking around, he's really upset. And then when Cabot asks if Andrew assaulted Danny, he finally says yes. And she's like, and you too? He struggles again, and finally he's like, since I was eight. Cabot states that he shot him to stop Andrew from molesting him, and he's like, no. He says he's hated what was done to him, but he was used to it. He actually shot him because he was bringing over a friend. Cabot's like, what the fuck, my friend? Yeah, in front of all these people, too. So Michael says when they were living in Millbrook, a guy would come over sometimes. Michael would be forced to do things with him. And then when they moved, he thought it was over. He's like, okay, at least I'm free of this. But one day he came home from school and he was there. And in fact, he finds Ugh. out they moved right across the street from him. And now he starts to cry. Ugh. And Cabot starts pressing him on who this person is. And Michael is clearly very scared, which I think kind of all s- sets off our alarm on who this is. Because we all we all, we have met this person and I think it's pretty clear who this person is. Cabot's pressing him and pressing him. She's like, the man can't get to get to you. If you tell the truth, this guy's power's gone. And he's like, no, this guy can have me killed. I know this. And he's like, one time even heard them talking. They killed a boy in Belgium and nothing was done about it. Andrew and Craig Prince. Uncle Frank. So Cabot's like, what the fuck? Who, what, when, where, why? And Michael's like, well, it happened when I was eight. It was in the papers there. He reiterates that nothing, nobody did anything. Craig Prince can get away with anything. And he starts to laugh a little frantically. He's like, you guys can't protect me. Dun, dun. So now we're in a boardroom and Craig Prince is presenting to a group of people and talking about the third quarter. 
thank God Stabler and Munch bust in and they're like, Craig, baby. And he's like, mm, this meeting's classified. Because he, he likes to tell everyone everything's classified. But they're like, well, the good news is Michael's getting man too and he's going to get a deal. But you, my friend, are under arrest for being a huge piece of shit. And everyone kind of looks around confused, but Noble, who's kind of staring straight ahead like, kind of knew this guy was a huge piece of shit. Yeah, he looks pleased. So it made it did make me wonder. I'm like, I wonder if Frank Noble, like Frank Noble, <laughs> Ralph Frank knew that. Quick side trip to the Morris Commission. So we're back in front of this table of old white men. And Cragen is called to the front of the room. He steps in front of the mic, pauses, and then he steps up to where the commission is seated and pulls what I'm going to call a soft Olivia. This <laughs> <laughs> little folder and starts sprinkling the pictures down the table and saying all the horrible things that happened to the victims and basically shames the commission into allowing Stabler to remain on the squad. He's like, if there's anyone at this table who doesn't share Detective Stabler's disgust for the perpetrators, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, I stand with Elliot Stabler and all the good cops who investigate these vicious felonies and have the strength to keep their impulses in check. Now, I was dying imagining if he took like a quick turn and then pulled out a folder of hot suspects. (laughs) Also, haven't you ever seen like a really cute suspect and want like she puts the picture of Keith from Cyber on top. He's like, mm, example A. I know they haven't met Danny for an, they won't meet Danny Cordrea for another few episodes, but he's got his picture and he's like, guys, come on, come on, come on, come on. No, I was thinking that too. I was like, and now we get to hear the justification for having sex with a man you shouldn't have sex with. And no, there's no defense for that. He doesn't really give a fuck about Monique and he never has. No, there's no way to, I guess we'll, I guess we'll circle back on that. I won't waste our time. We're in the last, we're in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch. Cut to Casa de Stabler. Kathy's making dinner. Stabler answers the phone. Kathy's literally screaming while he's on the phone. Mm. She's like, Dickie, Elizabeth. He's like on like an important work call and she is just screaming in the background. He doesn't tell her anything. She's mad about it. And she's mad about it. She wants someone on the other end of the phone to go, is that your wife? She sounds like she needs to talk to you more. But it's Cragen to tell Stabler's job's fine. He tells that to Kathy. Woohoo. Well, dun dun. We're back at the squad room and this amazing, stylish man with pizzazz walks in. He's so cool. Who could he be? I wrote, he's greeted warmly. Just kidding. He approaches Captain Cragen and Captain Cragen goes, not now. This new person respectfully requests that if you don't like Coco, you don't follow Coco. Who could this mystery man be? Monique Jeffries walks over and introduces herself. The man, Finn Tutuola, and he's here because he's been reassigned. He's smiling. He hands her his like little folder and she looks down. She goes, you're here for my job. And he like, knowing, knowing the character of Ice-T, I thought he'd be like, oh, yeah, ooh, sorry. And he goes, wow, this is really awkward. I kind of would have responded the same way because I'd have been like, I don't know what your head count is. Monique goes, try my side of this moment. This is her last line of the series. <laughs> Executive producer Dick Wolf, we're never going to see her again. This is awkward. 
my side of the moment. Done. Done, done. I honestly felt like that moment was more between Ice T, welcome to the show, and Michelle Hurd, because he really did take her job. No, you're right. That was really meta because it was her last day. I think it is so weird they rehired her for this one episode to release her forever. Why not just not rehire her for season two? I agree. I mean, unless... I know we talked about how there might have been like they filmed episodes and then like released them out of order. Maybe this wasn't always meant to be season two, episode one, because it is a weird. It would have been better to leave it off on the cliffhanger of like she's gone. Then it would have been been very easy to just this episode be like Detective Jeffries has already been let go for the very serious thing she said in her session. Stabler's on notice and then at the end of the episode we find out he's fine and I've just heard so many reasons about why she left the show like everything from her like either not getting along with Mariska, maybe her not getting along with Richard Belzer or the fact that the showrunners didn't want two male female detectives super sexist Heard currently stars in Star Trek Picard and is the vice president of a SAG after Los Angeles Nice. All right. Yeah, very so cool. That- actually, did you see her speech? Like she was out actually picketing in New York and Mariska took pictures with her. She took pictures with Chris Maloney. It's actually like super cute. Like they had a mini SVU reunion. I, I shared back when it was happening. I think you were in the throes of your, your injury. So I did share those to our stories, but it was it was really cute. Well, thank you for joining us for another exciting season of SVU. I'm excited to see more of a Finn. Me too. Episode. And it's kind of funny. Next episode is called Honor. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Bye.